Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about self-care. And I know it's a little bit of a buzzword and I don't love it for that reason, but think of it more as preventative stress management. But we're going to talk about why it's important and some ways to use it preventatively instead of just reactively and to kind of go beyond the buzzword. So imagine being so in tune with your emotional state or your mood that you could actually change it. And the interesting thing is, thanks to neuroscience, that is possible. But as with all good things, it takes time, practice, commitment, resilience, and hard work. <laughs> but it's possible. So that's the good news. Um, and it's a very learned skill. It's not something we're born with. And it's a higher order thinking skill. Therefore, it's it's in the part of your brain that was the last part to develop when your brain developed. <clears throat> so it's not as easily accessible. And it takes, it takes some brain training for sure. When I think about those that are in education, we talk a lot about parenting and education and stress and, and trauma and behavior in the brain. <clears throat> but <clears throat> we know that 40 to 50% of teachers leave the profession within the first five years of teaching. And it's even higher for urban teachers. And we could say now that it's even higher because of the stress that has come from a global pandemic. So in case you missed that, that is half of all educators leaving the field within five years. And those numbers are only on the rise. So I, I think that this concept, this idea, burnout, even the society that we live in and all we are trying to be and all we are trying to do and having so much going on, having our kids involved in so much and all of those things mean that it's really hard, means that it's really hard to pay attention to your emotional state and shift to your emotional state and work on preventative measures to keep your emotional state more neutralized and more balanced. So we're going to talk about all of that today. But my guess is that most people worry that things like self-care may lead to self-absorption or that it's selfish or it may distract them from their work or their students or their families. But let me share a little secret with you. It is that self-care is not about being selfish. In fact, it's in your best interest and the interest of everyone around you, including your work and your family and your significant other, that you take care of yourself and making sure that you have everything you need to thrive because we know that you can't pour from an empty cup and you can try, but eventually you're going to run out steam and it's no good. There's, there's actually a really good saying. I think it came from Bruce Perry's work. It's not from Bruce Perry's work. It's definitely from Robin Sharma's work, but it's this analogy of <laughs> you, it's like telling someone, <laughs> I 
can't, I'm out of gas, but I can't stop to get gas because I'm too busy driving. Like you, you have to, you're going to burn yourself out. And not only are you going to just exhaust yourself, but there are physical ailments that can come from that too. And a lot of these things can be long lasting or have long-term impact. So really being aware of where is your self-care stress management state, where, how are you doing with that? And how can we work to make micro tiny little shifts to your every day so that you're managing all the weight, all the things much better. So kind of let's, let's go in here a little bit more. Let's talk about what, what is self-care? So we've heard the term self-care and it often over the last few years, it's been one of those buzzwords and there's been even this self-care movement on social media about hashtag self-care, but note that this concept has been around for a very long time, longer than, than we have socialized it. And that's because for eons, um, people in other parts of the world have been practicing preventative measures to manage their stress and overwhelm and the weight they carry is just newer to us here in the Western world. So according to Oxford Dictionary, self-care is the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being and happiness, in particular during times of stress. So that's where I'll disagree a little bit. I personally feel that self-care shouldn't wait for the stressful periods. We should regularly put things in place as a preventative measure so that we can prevent exhaustion and burnout and all these things that we don't want to feel and experience. But I think that taking an active role, taking an aware role in protecting your well-being and your happiness, how you feel is incredibly important because if you don't feel good, it's going to thread through the other areas of your life. So worth spending some time with this. So I typically do is I will put uh, self-care into three categories, physical category, the mental and the social. And we'll go into those in just a second and what they kind of all look like. But I want to talk about a little bit more about why this is important before we get to how to do it. setting out some type of self-care ritual or routine or habits as daily measures help us recognize our limits and our boundaries and become aware of our emotional states and then help the, us to, to become intentional about influencing them. And I know we want what's best for our families and our kiddos and our students and our job and all of those things. That's why we need to put all of this in place preventatively so that we can show up the best for them and model for them. This is how you take care of your body. I think it was Oh, who was it? Jim Rohn had said, take care of your body because it's the only place that you have to live. So being mindful that, you know, stress chemically releases things in the body that if we don't manage it to, to neutralize it and put it back into equilibrium, it can start to damage tissue and digestive health and mental health and all of these different things. So making sure that we are not just putting things on our do list to check off that are related to self-care, but actually putting a sustainable practice in place, micro doses of it every day. Why? Because it helps you to strive for balance in all areas of your life. And it enables you to set realistic boundaries and priorities to help you to feel your best and function at your most optimal level. So in the future, we're going to go into some different ways to create self-care routines, some different ways for understanding yourself and how to put things in place that feel good in those routines and all of those areas. But before 
those episodes happen, it's good to check in with ourselves and see where we're at. So I developed a self-care continuum. I'll make sure it's linked in the resources, but there are four, this is continuum that's four different categories, healthy, reacting, injured, ill. On the healthy side, that is the only one of the four categories that is a preventative measure. So that means that self-care is a daily practice. It means that your mood most times is positive. You're getting good sleep. You have high energy. You're active socially. That's what we're aiming for. But we recognize that we're not going to be there all the time. And that's okay. I would say the majority of us are either in reacting or injured. So reacting looks like you're only using it as a reactive practice to feeling stressed. And you might find yourself irritable and tired. Maybe you even start to develop physical symptoms like headaches, procrastination. Your body will give you signs that it needs something from you or to take a break. Procrastination is one of them. If you procrastinate a lot of little tasks, there's something deeper under there that we're not dealing with. And you'll start to decrease social activity. Then you've gone to the injured category next. The injured category is when you start to feel those heavier feelings of anxiety and anger, hopelessness. You start to feel really restless and get really tired and you start to withdraw socially. And we know that we're here because we're so overwhelmed that we don't even know where to start. And then your last category is when you feel those really strong feelings of depression or you're isolating and you're unable to sleep at night and you start to develop physical illnesses. And then you become absent from maybe work and or social. And at that point, we need medical help. And I would say too, whether you are in the healthy, reacting, injured, ill, it's always helpful to have medical support or maybe not even medical, but coaching support to have someone who knows this type of work well and can help hold you accountable. I see a therapist, not because I have anything I'm really dealing with right now, but I want someone to keep me accountable for being reflective and working through my feelings and making sure that I'm putting stuff in place to make myself feel good. So it's important to consider that even if you don't feel like you're in the ill category, you can benefit from it in the healthy category too, because it's someone that will help keep you in the healthy category. So think about where you're at, healthy, reacting, injured, ill. And think about um, kind of why you might be there. And think about what are you currently doing to take care of yourself? Is it just reactive or are you doing some preventative measures? Are you putting some things in place daily to take care of yourself? And then think about too, what are some things that you can do to get closer to the healthier side? It's not a big leap. It's a tiny little step incremental steps or are sustainable. So little steps to get you there and then think about what, what are you going to do? What are, what are some things that feel good to you? And I think it is the next episode. Yeah. That we go into kind of this personality profiling and the next episode, when we go into this personality profiling, it'll help you determine kind of really who you are, how you flow and function. And when you know those things, then you can develop some of those preventative routines. And the episode after that will be about developing routines to put in place daily to help get you to the healthier side. But know that we are in a world that is overstimulated and overworked and exhausted. And if it, the, the mismanagement of stress happens to the, the best of us. I mean, even myself, I have had many days and weeks and months and even like chunks of long periods of time where I felt very misaligned or very disorganized. I had a tough time getting back to neutral. So I had to check my self-care practices, my stress management practices, 
make sure that I was living in alignment with my personality profiling and my values and then putting routines in place and changing up those routines because different times of the year, different places or different life periods needed different routines. So being flexible with those routines as well. All right, we're going to pause there. A lot of information about what is self-care? What is stress management? How do we do this? What does it look like? Why is it important? And then where do we fall on that continuum? Before I go into anything about how do we set up a routine? How, how do we put these practices in place? You have to listen to the next two or three episodes. It's too much to talk about one episode. So today I just want you to have an understanding of what it is, what it looks like, why it's important, and where you fall in that continuum. And you'll have to kind of just use this as a reflective point until the next episode is released next week, where you can go into the personality profiling and really start to dig into and develop that routine, either on your own or with the support of someone else. And that will take us to our listener question, which is what are some good strategies to help staff stay regulated when a child is dysregulated? It happens a lot. And it's very common with young kids because they haven't learned this skill of self-regulation yet. So one of the ways I tell people that often are around kids who are getting dysregulated is when, when you're in those moments, touch your forehead, take the palm of your hand and touch your forehead because it's a visual physical reminder to get back into your thinking brain. Cause when you stay in your thinking brain, they're more likely to get back into their thinking brain. Cause at this point, when they're dysregulated, they're in their emotional brain and it's easy for us to kind of just catch that chaos. So if you touch your forehead, remind yourself, stay in your thinking brain, then you'll be able to do that or more likely to do that. And then they'll catch that, catch that calm. The other thing you can do too is like deep, slow out breaths, uh, that breath work. It really does calm the heart rate, <laughs> blood pressure, all those things that help you to stay more neutral and be more present. And by doing those things in those moments, you're also modeling for the child what, what they could and probably should do to neutralize themselves. But if you're not a big breath work person, you don't often maybe see or feel the benefits of that. And initially you could do something called progressive muscle relaxation, which involves tensing up and tightening a muscle group in the body. So let's say maybe your hands, you squeeze your hands, like you're squeezing lemons and you hold them for 10 seconds, really, really, really tight. And then you release and they might do it again. And then again, you do it two, three, four, five times. And you'll start to feel the tension from that dysregulated child release. And you'll be able to keep yourself more calm. And the last way is you can kind of trick your brain. You can repeat a mantra out loud. And when you repeat a mantra out loud, which is just a saying, a saying that, you know, something you want to achieve in that moment, when you repeat it out loud, your brain hears it, your brain takes it back into the sensory processing center and it it sends the message to the brain and then you're more likely to be able to um, do the thing you want to do. So, so my mantra in those moments is calm body, calm face, calm voice. So out loud in those moments, I say to myself, calm body, calm face, calm voice. And that mantra helps me to keep a calm body, a calm face and a calm voice, which means that the child's more likely to regulate. So just a few things that you can try when you feel dysregulated from a child being dysregulated. And that's going to take us to the try it at home tip, which is pretend what objects can be. I actually really like this one. It's another one to work on your thinking brain, to strengthen your thinking brain. So great when you're feeling dysregulated, because uh, it will help you get back there. 
And I think part of it is because this one taps into a little bit of humor and humor kicks us back into our, our thinking brain. But basically you just choose an object somewhere around the room, any regular ordinary object. And you, with a child or multiple children or with a group, help kids see how many different things that you can pretend that object is. So you can grab something like, hi, I have right in front of me a water bottle. So I might grab the water bottle and be like, ah, this is going into the ocean because it is a tiny ship uh, in a glass bottle. Or, you know, you could uh, swirl it and suddenly it is a water tornado. You know, whatever it is, you just make things up and you pretend that the object is no longer used for is the thing that it actually is. And you use your imagination to come up with what it could be. So it taps into that thinking brain, charges that thinking brain, strengthens that thinking brain, and just a really good practice for us to do even on our own, but definitely with kids. Another example would be, uh, maybe you have one of those <laughs> funnel party hats. Maybe that could be a party hat because that's what it actually is, but it also could be a trumpet or you could turn it into a unicorn horn. I mean, even something like a whiteboard eraser, it could be a microphone or a telephone, or because it's kind of like felt like you could turn it into a mustache. Lots of different things that you can use and think of for this pretend what objects can be. That is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, which is pretend what objects can be. And if you have a question you would like me to answer on a future episode, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744. And remember to lock in what you learned today by applying it right away. Easy way to do this, leave a comment below. Let me know what your biggest takeaway was from this episode and listen into the next few episodes because you've only learned the importance of self-care and kind of what it is and not actually how to implement it. So listen to the next couple episodes to learn about ways to implement it and ways I have found success and failure with trying to implement it. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer. Thank you for joining me. Thank you.